All right, good morning. Glad you're here for the 9.30 a.m. Let me start off today by telling you about the best day of my entire life. I remember it perfectly. I even know the exact date. It was July 31st, 2004. Now, you say, how do you know that was the best day of your entire life? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the day that I married Amber Lee Davis, okay? Yeah, I get it. I can see the eye rolls from here. I know. Some of you are like, oh, he done messed up this week, and this is his chance to apologize. I get it. No, I'm not just trying to riz up, baby girl. I can confidently tell you that this is the best day of my entire life. I was more joyful on July 31st, 2004 than in any other day ever. Now, it's not because that day was perfect, okay? I don't know what wedding ever goes perfectly. Ours certainly did not. First of all, we had a fair bit of family drama at our wedding. Anybody else have family drama at your wedding? Whew. I'm not going to name names because my people watch online, but I'll just tell you, there were some folks that didn't get along with other folks in the wedding party. Anyway, uh, not only that, but our, we got married on a Saturday, so Friday night we're doing the rehearsal. My five-year-old nephew is the ring bearer, and so uh, that night he's running around the church like a five-year-old would do, and he slipped at the top of a very large staircase and tumbled all the way down and gave himself a black eye. So the next day in our wedding, this poor little kid has a black eye. You can just imagine people in the crowd and they're like, oh, is he okay? Should we call child services? No, he fell down the stairs, but you know, nobody's going to believe you if you actually say that. Okay. Then we didn't realize it until we actually got there, but the AC had broken at our wedding, at our reception venue. Okay. This is July 31st in Texas. It's like, super hot, okay? So we all walk in, it's like, you get hit with a heat wave. It was way over 30 degrees inside of that building. And trust me when I say nobody wanted to stick around for long at our reception, which was fine with Amber and I. We were like, yeah, we got other things to get to. Why don't you guys take off a little bit, all right? But it's not like our, our honeymoon was all that special. For our honeymoon, we spent a week in Galveston, Texas, baby. Now, if you're not really familiar with Galveston, Texas, I want you to imagine that you're talking with somebody who is about to get married. And you ask them the question, where are you going on your honeymoon? And they were like, medicine hat. <laughs> You'd be like, cool, 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 cool. It's not like these are bad locations. It's just that they're not typical honeymoon destinations, okay? Now, Despite all of those negative circumstances, there was nothing that was going to kill my vibe that day. As long as Amber and I ended up married, then I didn't care what happened. I didn't care what else went wrong in the, in the day. That was the only thing that mattered. I had a joy on July 31st, 2004, that was not going to be stolen from me, no matter what happened. Wouldn't it be great if every day was like that? Like, how amazing would it be to wake up every single day of your life with the confidence that even if everything goes wrong everything's going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> how, how great would that be? I long for that. I wish for that. And I bet many of you guys do too. Even if everything goes wrong, I know 
everything's gonna be all right. Well, the good news is it is possible to have that kind of confidence. It is possible to believe that no matter what life throws at you, you can retain a grounding, an anchoring, a confidence and a joy that life is gonna be okay. That sort of confidence is absolutely possible. So this morning, what I wanna do is I wanna look at a moment from the life of Christ that is overflowing with joy, okay? It is really, um, it just, you're gonna see joy all over this story. And I want us to learn whatever we can about the emotion of joy from this particular story. So the event takes place in Luke chapter number 10. It's a passage we've talked about a few times before. There's a lot happening in Luke 10. Most famously, this is the story of the prodigal son. But prior to telling this story, there's an episode where Jesus gathers together 72 of his closest followers. You say, well, I thought Jesus had 12 disciples. He did, but he had larger crowds that followed him as well. And so there's a group of 72 at one point. He gathers them up. He puts them in pairs. And for the very first time in his entire ministry, he sends them out without him to go do ministry in his name. So this is like no safety net. You know, Jesus isn't there to guide and correct them. They've got to figure this out on their own. So we're going to pick up the story here in... um, Oh, let's see, verse number 17, but let me give you kind of a sense of what they were supposed to do, okay? It's all kind of summarized. He gives them a lot of instructions before they go out, but in uh, Luke chapter number 10, verse nine, Jesus tells them that their job is to heal the sick and to tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's kind of what they're supposed to be doing during this time, okay? So they go out, they do their thing, they're gone for weeks, maybe even a month or two. It's quite a while from what we understand. And then we'll pick up the story here in verse number 17. The scripture says, when the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Just highlight that word joyfully in your mind this morning. Yes, he said to them, but don't rejoice. That's a version of the word joy, right? Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Verse 21 says, at that same time, Jesus was filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And he said, oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Hey, uh, at the end of our service today, we've got some baptisms that are happening. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. I am so stoked. So what I want to do today to make sure that we've got sufficient time to celebrate our friends who are taking this step of, of faith and obedience is I just want to give you two really short simple but powerful principles from the verses that we just read. It's going to be like a really bare bones message today, but I think you're going to get a lot from it. So when we read about this encounter between Jesus and his disciples, there are a couple of things that jump out to me. First, joy seems to be the focus here. Joy is the focus. Joy occurs in four verses, four separate times. Now, that's a lot if you consider the short length of this particular passage. There is a clear and obvious emphasis on joy when you read this passage and ask, so what are the emotions that are present here? Joy seems to be the focus. And it's not just this passage. Did you know that the the scripture from Old Testament to New, Genesis to Revelation, talks about joy several hundred times? Like five or 600 times, joy, rejoicing, rejoice, all of this is found in scripture. Now, I want you to contrast that for just a moment with happy or happiness. While the scripture speaks about joy hundreds of times, do you know that happy or happiness only occurs in the scripture 25 times? Only 25 times. 
So the scripture speaks of joy three times, four times, five times more than it speaks of happiness. That's kind of interesting if you think about it because most people in our world seem to believe the point of life is to find happiness, right? Deep down inside, we're all on a happiness quest. We're trying to figure out what makes us happy and then we spend our life doing it. For some people, it's work. For some, it's family. For some, it's travel. For some, it's pleasure. Could be any number of things, but we are trying to figure out what makes us happy and then to go do it. Now, hear me happiness is not a bad thing, okay? All other things being equal, you can bet I want to be happy, okay? I'm not saying that happiness is bad, but there's a problem with happiness. The problem with happiness is it's fleeting. You can have happiness, but have you ever noticed you can't ever seem to hold on to happiness? It's a little bit like going to the beach and grabbing a handful of sand. No matter how tightly you hold your fist, Sooner or later, every bit of that sand is going to slip through your fingers. Happiness is very similar to that. You can get it, but man, is it really, really hard to keep. Sooner or later, it disappears. Now, sometimes you lose it quickly. Sometimes it happens slowly, but you can be sure that if you chase happiness, sometimes you'll have it. Most of the time, you're going to be looking for it, okay? And that actually makes a lot of sense if you consider what happiness is, okay? I don't normally do this in sermons because it's like way too cliche for speakers to do this, but let me give you the dictionary definition of the word happiness, okay? Happiness is good feelings based on good fortune. So if you go to the dictionary, you kind of do some study, it's always defined a little bit differently, but basically it comes down to good feelings that come from good fortune. Or if we were to, you know, make it a little bit better and use a little bit of alliteration because I'm a pastor, I have to do that, okay? Happiness depends on what's happening. Happiness depends on what's happening. That is, if life is going well, if good things are happening to you, then happiness is the natural result. It's easy to be happy when things are going well. Uh, happiness depends on what's happening. Notice they even have the same root word here. Like they, they have the same base meaning behind the two of them. So for as long as things go well in life, that is, you know, if your kids are getting along, if your GPA is solid, if all the bills are paid, then yeah, you can be happy because good things are happening. And listen, we will work ourselves to death to stay in the happy zone. You with me? It's like, we'll do anything we possibly can to make sure that circumstances in life are going well so that we can feel good, okay? But there is so much about life that is outside of our control. There are things that will hit you from directions that you never anticipated. And when that happens, when the doctor calls and says, hey, we need to talk. When, the, when, the, when your spouse says, it's time for us to go see a counselor, right? When, when, when the, the past due notice of bills comes in, when you get into an accident. I was at, I was at Walmart today and uh, I popped in this morning to grab some, uh, some stuff and I jumped back out of my Jeep and I went to turn the key and nothing happened. And I was like, no, not on Sunday morning, you know? Thankfully, I cranked it the second time and everything worked. But it's like in a moment, your happiness can be taken from you by outside circumstances that you have no control over. And more than not in life, 
is outside of your control rather than under your control. So happiness is good, but happiness is fleeting. It can be taken from you by things that you didn't expect and by things that you have no control of whatsoever. I actually think this is part of the reason that Jesus rebukes the disciples in verse number 20. So they came back and the Bible says they're rejoicing because they said we were able to heal people. We were casting out demons like this is incredible ministry. It was a huge success, Jesus. But he knows that life is not always going to be so good for them. They're happy in the moment because things are going well. But Jesus knows that it's not always going to go well for them or for us. In fact, if we jump ahead later in the Gospels, there's this instance where there's a boy who's sick and demon-possessed, and the, the, the disciples show up, and they want to heal him. They want to deliver him from the demon, and so they all gather around him. They lay hands and they fail spectacularly, like in front of everybody. They just cannot deliver this boy. So Jesus knows that although things went well for them on this day or on this trip, it's not always going to go well for them. They're not always going to succeed. They're not always going to have positive circumstances. They're not always going to feel happy because of the way things are going. And so what Jesus challenges them to do is to anchor their emotions in something more steady and substantial than their circumstances. Are you with me? He he says, listen, you guys are happy. You're in a good mood today because you're having a good day. But what happens when you have a bad day? If happiness is your goal, then you are always going to be chasing something that even if you do grab a hold of it, it can be taken from you in just a moment. So Jesus, the scriptures, they're going to present us with a different paradigm. They're going to give us a different goal. They're going to tell us that there is an emotion that we should be concerned with above and beyond any of the other ones that often take our attention. I know there are a lot of people and they really focus on anger. Either it's their own anger or it's like the anger they see online or it's their friend or loved one's anger. Listen, we need to address and deal with anger. Actually, next week, we're talking about anger in our emotion series. But guess what? Anger is not the most important emotion for you to address and deal with through the power of the Holy Spirit. We talk about sadness. We talk about depression. We talk about impatience. We could list any number of emotions out there But joy is the one that again and again and again is brought up in the scriptures, and it seems to be the one that God wants us to focus on. Anchoring ourselves in joy because we have grounded ourselves in something more steady and substantial than our circumstances. I was thinking about this the other week. Amber and I were in Hawaii. We went on a vacation. It was amazing. Our first time ever there. And uh, we were like, let's do something fun and adventurous. And so we booked an an excursion. We jumped on a boat. And they took us up the uh, shore of the, of the big island there, and uh, we're going to do some snorkeling. So the captain of the boat, you know, there's a bunch of us on the boat. It's not like we booked a private yacht or anything, okay? So anyway, uh, he takes us up the shoreline, and uh, we park like a, a few hundred meters offshore. And the water's really choppy. And then the, the captain tells us, okay, so it's about 30 feet deep here. I'm like, well, 30 feet? Like, that's a pretty deep area to kind of be swimming and snorkeling. I don't know if any of you are like me. I get a little freaked out with open water. I just imagine like Megalodon or something below me. I don't know. I just, it scares me. Okay. But I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to wimp out. We paid for this. I'm going to do it. Sounds like a lot of fun before we all jump in. So we've got our masks on and everything like that. Captain comes over and he says, now, listen, guys, we're pretty far off from shore. You can see the water's a bit choppy today. And uh, he said, you've got to be really careful. Stay close to the boat. Don't get too far away from the boat because before you know it, you can get caught by a current and pulled out into the open ocean. 
So sufficiently warned. I'm like, oh, I, ain't getting, uh, I ain't getting pulled out in the ocean today, okay? Sufficiently warned, I pull down my mask and I jump in the water. Now, let me tell you, this was, uh, we've done a lot of snorkeling. Uh, this is some of the best snorkeling I've ever done. So um, there's colorful fish everywhere, Nemo and Dory. There are literally sea turtles, crushes there, like, dude, you know. Um, manta rays, holy cow, like 12-foot wingspan, and they're just like swimming right underneath you, like two feet away from you. It's crazy. So, of course, I'm like this, and I'm only focused on what's going on immediately around me. So I'm swimming, 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 swimming. And eventually, I'm like... It's been a long time since I popped my head up and looked around. You know, I don't know if you've ever, you just have a sense that something isn't quite right. And so I poke my head up and I look, man, I had drifted way far away from that boat. Everybody on deck is like this, hey, 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 trying to get my attention, saying, come back over here. You're getting way too far. You're getting way too close to the open ocean and to those dangerous currents. Now, stay with me. The boat had not moved. The boat was right where it always was, right where it was supposed to be. I was the one that drifted. I was the one that got pushed away. So what was the difference between me and the boat? The boat had an anchor. The boat had something that was connecting it, that was grounding it, that was keeping it steady and stable when the waves were battering it and trying to toss it in an unsafe direction. Happiness is like a boat with no anchor. It is like a boat that will just get tossed and pushed in any direction that the waves and the currents want to take it. And there are a lot of people that are living life that way. It's not wrong for the boat to be on the water. It's not wrong for the boat to sail with the currents. But the key is the boat needs to be able to withstand the currents when it's supposed to be anchored and steady, okay? And so a lot of us, we chase happiness, a boat with no anchor. Jesus and the scriptures, they call us to make sure that we are connected to something that is stable, something that is steady, something that cannot take you from uh, where you're supposed to be to wherever life circumstances want to push you in that particular moment, okay? It, it has to be stronger, your anchor has to be stronger than the waves that you're sailing in. You with me? So the question I want to ask you, and this is the question that essentially Jesus is posing to the disciples here. It's the challenge that he gives to them. He basically says to them, hey guys, what are you anchored to? And my question is, what are you anchored to in life? Because if you're anchored to your circumstances, that is, you say, I will be happy when I get another zero in the bank account. I will be happy when I finally get a spouse. I will be happy when I get another spouse. I will be happy when... And then you anchor your happiness, your emotions to anything in this world, guess what? Eventually, a wave will come along that is big enough to capsize your boat because you are not anchored to something that can withstand all of life's storms. What are you anchored to? What happens if the economy crumbles or your health declines or your kids rebel and, and, and run away? What do you do? When the worst of life is thrown at you, do you have a confidence that even when everything goes wrong, everything will still be all right? Now you can, and the answer is where you're anchored. But actually, this question is really the wrong question to answer. You realize that. The question is not what are you anchored to? The question is who are you anchored to? See, here's the deal. If you're anchored to a what 
or a win, then you can always imagine a scenario or situation in which a wave could come along and unmoor you. It could, it could capsize you, toss you, push you in a direction you don't want to go. It can upset you, so to speak. So if you're anchored to your spouse, they're my rock. Listen, your spouse is amazing, I have no doubt. But there will be a day in which they are not steady, stable, and trustworthy. That's just how we are as people. If you're anchored to your kids, I know you have the cutest kids on planet Earth. I understand that. There's going to be a day they grow up and move out and they forget to call you on Father's Day. It's just going to happen. If you're anchored in money, then you're going to be at the whim of your boss or the sales and the um, bonuses and all of those different things. If you're anchored to, uh, oh, the next stage is going to be the one in which I'm finally happy, then you are always at the risk of having your happiness robbed from you. So the, the scriptural call here is to anchor ourselves in something deeper, something better. It's not a what, it's a who. So I told you the first principle from this passage is that joy seems to be the focus. As a Christian, happiness is not bad. Peace is not bad. But the thing that God seems to hold up as the emotion that we should cultivate in our lives is joy. And God is the source of true joy. He is. God is the source of joy. Now listen, any number of things can provide happiness. They can give you a measure of peace. They can give you a sense of importance. Any number of things can fulfill or stimulate emotions. God is the only thing that can give you lasting joy. God is the source of all joy. If you notice there in verse number 21, when it talks about Jesus and the joy he experiences, it says very specifically, at that moment, Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit, full of the joy of God's spirit. It is his spirit that is the source of our joy. It is to him that we anchor our lives because he is the one who is greater than any life circumstances that might creep along. Are you with me? So this boat that I was on, it was anchored and the anchor was out in Hawaii. It was anchored and it was strong enough to withstand the waves. But can you imagine if like an asteroid was screaming towards the earth and it hit the ocean? Guess what? That anchor wasn't gonna do that boat any good in that scenario, right? So the anchor is only as good as it is strong strong or as to the thing that it is tied and tethered to. God is the only thing that we can tie ourselves to, anchor ourselves in that can never be taken from us by life circumstances. That's why he is the one that we anchor to and he becomes the source of joy that we find. Notice that when Jesus tells the disciples, hey, listen, the real reason you have to rejoice is not that the demons obey you. Instead, it's that your names are registered in heaven. That's a poetic way of saying they were God's children. They were saved. He loved them. They were not perfect. They hadn't you know, earned a place as one of his disciples. They didn't earn a place in heaven. They were not saints. In fact, you read through the gospels and you find out the disciples were knuckleheads a good bit of the time, man. They always seem to get it wrong. They seem to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. Jesus rebukes them every bit as much as he encourages them. And yet he still loved them. So he says to them, listen, guys, if you're going to be like joyful about something, it's not because life is going well. It won't always. Instead, be joyful over something that can never be robbed from you. The fact that God is real, that he loves you, that he has a good plan for your life. And even when life goes to hell, you can trust that your father is still with you. This is what um, Hebrews chapter number six, verse 19 means. 
Hebrews 6.19 is a very famous verse. It says, the hope of God is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It is God's presence. It's his promise. It's his plan that keeps me grounded when life's circumstances are trying to flip my boat. When everything goes wrong, I still have a confidence that things are going to be all right. Because my life is not anchored to things that can change. My life is anchored to the God who never changes. The God who, who won't be uh, moved by the same things that move and upset and could even hurt and harm me. The folks that you just saw get up and, and start to walk out of the room, I didn't take them off. They're getting baptized and um, they're going to get changed, okay? And uh, so we've got four in this service that are going to be baptized. We have four different people that are being baptized in the second service. And uh, I want you to understand, they are not getting dunked today because their life is perfect. They're not, they're not following Jesus in baptism because they're on calm water, because they're happy, because life has no difficulties. No, in fact, some of them are going through the largest storms of their life right now. You say, is that a good time to get baptized? Yeah, actually, yeah, it is. It's fine to get baptized when life is calm and the seas are mellow and peaceful, but it's totally great to get baptized when life is in chaos and it feels like you're, you're on the verge of tipping and getting dumped into the ocean at any moment. Why? Because we don't define our lives by what's going on around us. We define our lives according to the eternal truths that we read in the scripture, that God knows us. He loves us. And despite the fact that like the disciples, we're not perfect. We certainly don't deserve his love. I haven't done anything to earn it. You realize that? God loves me, not because of me, but because of him. I've told you guys before, God's love is based on his character and not our behavior. So they're not getting into this water because life is smooth sailing or because they expect life to be smooth sailing. They're getting in the water because they have decided to anchor themselves to something greater than any of life's circumstances, something that can never be taken from them. My sense is there are people here today and you have been on the happiness chase. You've been looking for the things that are going to make you happy. And listen, again, happiness is not wrong. But what you've really been searching for deep down inside this whole time was not momentary, temporary, fleeting happiness. What you've been searching for is joy. And joy can only come from knowing your heavenly father through Jesus Christ, his son. So I'm going to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. And if you say, hey, Dan, this is me. I'm tired of losing my happiness. I'm tired of having my joy taken from me. And I realize now it's because I've been anchored to the wrong thing. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. All you have to do is place your faith in Jesus as your rock. Place your faith in God as your savior and your father. And from that moment on, you will be chained and connected to something that can never be robbed from you. So in your own heart, just between you and God, you might pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you to save me. Today, I repent and I turn to you and I ask you to give me true joy that I can never lose. Even when life gets hard, help me to stay focused on you, the source of love and joy in my life. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.